in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them cuckoo suckers like the f***ing players. NBA trade deadline is at noon today. Unless I missed it, I don't think we've had any trades this morning just yet. We've had some in the days leading up. But we did have a report from Adrian Wojnarowski this morning that James Harden wants to be traded to the 76ers, but he hasn't made a formal request because he's afraid of the backlash that he would receive with asking to be traded from a second franchise, because he did this with Houston Rockets as well. Um, what do we make? First off, what do we make of the idea that James Harden doesn't want to ask for a trade, but somehow that's being reported by Adrian Wojnarowski that he wants to be traded? <laughs> sure, you're going to avoid the public backlash, right? <laughs> okay. Listen, you're an NBA superstar who wants out of your situation. You've had talking heads on TV and radio saying for two weeks that you look disinterested and you don't want to be there anymore. You've already sent the message, dude. Like, you don't have to rent a plane, fly a banner over Barclays Center that says deuces. Like, you can just put it out there and say the situation didn't work for you. And you know what? If I'm James Harden, I'm fine saying that because you know blown that thing up. Kyrie Flat Earth Irving <laughs> has blown up that situation. James Harden thought he was coming into Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Turns in he was coming into just Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant's been hurt for a month. Let me ask you if you agree with this take from Seth Partnow. Uh, he tweeted, my position remains that both teams would be better off if they swapped Ben Simmons for James Harden straight up. 1,000% correct. And not just because I'm reading Seth Partnow's book, The Mid-Range Theory, right now. It's very good. <laughs> My, okay. The the Sixers, obviously. The, ben Simmons is a guy that's not playing for them. I would agree with it on the Nets if I knew, I guess, three things. One, Kevin Durant is healthy. Two, Kyrie Irving plays in more than just road games. And three, Ben Simmons exists. If I know those three things, then I will agree with it. But I do not know those three things. So I'm a little hesitant to say the Nets would for sure be better simply swapping Simmons and Harden. The greatest trick Ben Simmons ever pulled was making the world believe he didn't exist. <laughs> so, but with the Nets, though, again, making those assumptions there, that's a pretty decent fit for what Ben Simmons is, right? Like Ben Simmons obviously made fun of a lot and he hasn't played basketball this year, but the guy's really good at a lot of things that basketball players want to be good at. He's just not good at maybe the most important thing basketball players should be good at, but he's really good at a lot of things. He doesn't need the ball in his hands though. And he doesn't need to shoot like playing with Kyrie Irving, playing with Kevin Durant. They'll take the ball in their hands. Like that just seems like a good fit for Ben Simmons to go be, you know, part of a big three but not have any pressure of scoring or even really handling the ball because those two guys are going to have the ball in their hands so much let me tell you something else dude the other side of this the best team and it will not be close in the eastern conference out of this trade will be the philadelphia 76ers it, it won't even be a competition for me in terms of saying who i think should win the east if healthy 
James Harden plus what Joel Embiid is doing at an MVP level with nobody else there, and the fact that what Joel Embiid has needed more than anything else is shooting to space the floor, and you're going to put James Harden, who's either going to be able to shoot from three or attract the defense, that's going to make Joel Embiid's life even easier. You're going to turn Tobias Harris into a third piece, which is what he should be. The Philadelphia 76ers will be in the driver's seat because you're not going to have Kyrie Irving playing a full slate. I would be very excited to just see Harden Embiid pick and rolls for like an entire quarter. Oh of my God. Just that's all they do for an entire quarter. Oh, I just peed down my leg. Oh my uh, I just got what so happened? excited thinking about that. What just happened? Oh. I, 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 I'm sorry. I lost bladder control. It was that exciting to think about. That is, I, I love that idea. Next question. Uh, throw aside the Harden-Simmons possibility here. Will there be any trades today of teams that matter and not like Pacers-Kings, Blazers-Pelicans? Like, do any teams that matter make any significant trades today? The only way it happens is if the Lakers can find a taker for Russell Westbrook. Okay. Because that's over. Okay. Over. I just don't know if they can trade him. Can we talk about the Lakers game last night for a minute? Uh, they lost to the Blazers. And uh, the give Blazers. Me, give me the stat. I love this stat. Which, wait, stat. hold on. I was going to give you names first. because Oh, the, all right. The Blazers played guys named CJ Ellaby, Trendon Watford, and I don't even know how to say this one's name. Kelheen, Kelvin, Kelgin, Blevins. I don't know who those people are, but they beat LeBron and Anthony Davis yesterday. LeBron's been very clear about what he thinks about this team, right? LeBron <laughs> said two nights ago when asked, can we get onto the level that Milwaukee is on? No, we can't. Not how we are right now. We're not there. We're not close. Right? And he added, well, nobody thought they'd get on the level, you know, that we were at in the bubble. Yeah, they did. You guys weren't head and shoulders above everybody in the bubble, but you guys are really bad now. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not reveling in it. I want to see LeBron James and Anthony Davis play well because the league's a better watch when the Lakers are really good, when LeBron has a really good team. But this ain't it. Uh, what's the stat that I missed? No, I had it last night, and I, and I thought you were going to have it ready to go. But essentially, it, it was a, I want to say it was an um, effective field goal percentage that. It was something along the lines of like teams that shoot 66% or above an effective field goal percentage this year up until this point were something like 75 and 0 until this game. Yeah, the the Lakers drilled like a ridiculous amount of threes last night, but it was 21 turnovers they had last night. That, that that's why they lost the game. They turned the ball over 21 times and even though they shot it really well, they they lit, they couldn't get enough shots in the game to win. Like they could not they they physically couldn't shoot enough times in a game to win against C.J. Ellaby, Trendon Watford, and maybe Kelheen Blevins. I like how Man, you, know, you weren't sure. How to, I like how you weren't sure how to say his name, and now we've just settled on Kelheen. Kelheen, it sounds nice. You, you make the J and H like it's Spanish or something. It sounds yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, Danny didn't want to hear about that anymore. Danny's <laughs> like, "Let's go! I don't want to hear you pronouncing names." All right, the NFL is going to play four games in Germany over the next four years. Munich will host the first game, uh, but the teams are to be announced. Are we sending bad teams to Germany just like we do London? I mean, have we ever sent our best and brightest overseas, right? I mean, that hasn't really been the way that we've done this over the years, so why would it start now? Um, it, it is important to note that 
there are four teams in the NFL that have been awarded marketing rights in Germany. And so you can pretty well start the list there with who's going to end up over there. And I mean, at least one of them is the Patriots, right? Yeah. Mac Jones in Germany. How the hell do you get awarded marketing rights in Germany? What? I don't know, but the Panthers are one of them, too. And what? I can't wait for Mar Matt Rule to take his cute little smocks over there. Are you telling me, like, in Frankfurt, Germany, there's, like, a Carolina Panthers billboard or something? Like, what's the point of giving just four teams marketing rights in a country? One of them's Tampa Bay. I don't really know. Uh, Greg also, Allman. What would, like, what if another team just bought a billboard like what if they just started buying commercials like would the nfl stop them how many nfl teams are dumb enough to start buying commercials in germany just period why do they have exclusive market that's the part i don't get why do they have exclusive marketing rights to 14 why wouldn't you just as the nfl be like you know what if a like random guy from germany's just really good all of a sudden and he's playing on a team that doesn't have exclusive marketing rights. Then you'll probably extend the rights to that team. Don't get mad about red herrings, dude. Uh, according to Greg Allman of The Athletic, Tampa Bay is one of four NFL teams designated with, quote, special marketing rights in Germany. So how special are they? What do you get to do? Is it just getting to advertise on TV? Like... I don't know why the Tampa Bay Buc uh, Buccaneers and the New England Patriots wouldn't be the obvious choice for us to send over there in, like, the sadness bowl, right? <laughs> like, oh, we don't get to have Brady in this one anymore. I'm out. ESPN has extended its deal with the Mannings through the 2024 season. This means more Manning cast for Monday Night Football. Do you enjoy watching Peyton and Eli for Monday Night Football? It is appointment television, and I don't have a lot of appointment television, but I watch the Mannings exclusively for Monday Night Football. Uh, I think it's great television. It is Peyton and Eli who can give you both the football side intelligently and don't really do it in a way that talks down to you while also giving you pretty quality entertainment. Like, Eli is way funnier than we expected him to be. <laughs> and the guests they've gotten have been pretty good, too. They don't overproduce it, right? Like, they don't do a lot of planned bits. Yeah, there's some planted questions with the guys for some of the guests. But first of all, it's great. And second of all, ESPN has made such a mockery of the main broadcast that I'm just thrilled that I have another one to watch, too. Right? Like, thank God I don't have to watch Tess and Booger anymore. But at least it's not that bad, but the Mannings are still way better. I view them very much how I view like Bill Walton, where like if I don't have a team, like if I don't have an interest in either of the teams playing in the game, I absolutely want Bill Walton to be calling the game I'm watching. I absolutely want to watch the Manning cast. If I had a rooting interest in one of the teams, I think I'd be a little annoyed by them because it's fun. And while I'm watching a team that I care about winning, I don't want to see other people having fun. I don't want to see other people having fun. Yeah, no, no. If, the, if ever there were a Tyler Bischoff brand, <laughs> I think that might be distilled down pretty well. I don't want to see other people having fun. I like it. I think that's it. Yeah, Aley. Bill Walton, by the way, is my other appointment television. It, it like, it, like in college, back in the day when you didn't have streaming, I'm old, uh, there was a library channel at my university that would show just random movies over and over again. And it was through the library. And they only had, like, two good movies. It was Shawshank Redemption and Braveheart. And we would just sit down and watch them because it's like, cool, it's there. We get to, like, we'll just pick it up wherever. 
That's me with Walton. I don't care what point the game is in. If it's Walton and Dave Pash especially, and Walton might be going off and making weird animal noises, I am all about it. All right, coming up next, Eric Eager joins us from Pro Football Focus. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Joining us now live from Radio Row in Los Angeles, it's Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Good morning, Eric. How's Radio Row today? Oh, it's it's uh, people are starting to file in a little bit. It's it's, uh, it's starting to feel like the uh, the Super Bowl is coming up in a couple days. All right. So on the uh, actual game itself, I know you wrote a little bit about both of these teams and uh, let's say their overcommitment to running the ball, despite how good they are at throwing. Which team do you think is going to run themselves into a Super Bowl loss? I think, it, sadly, even though I think he's the better play caller of the two, I think McVeigh, uh, it might end up committing to it more um, than uh, Zach Taylor does, which, you know, unfortunately, because they're, they're the favorite in the game, that might cost them a chance to, to win the Super Bowl that they're, you know, you know what, minus 200 to win. Um, I think Zach Taylor's going to lean on Joe Burrow, and I think in, in, you know, in a game like this where they know their offensive line uh, is overmatched. They might throw the ball in early down so they can get out of those long yardage situations that made, you know, frankly, their offense have a difficult time moving the football against Kansas City uh, and, and against Tennessee as well. Eric, earlier in the season, it almost felt like there were times where Zach Taylor didn't know what he had with Joe Burrow quite yet in terms of the return from the knee injury. Was he fully trusting him to be able to you know, command everything? Because we saw that. The first down pass rate in particular and pass rate overall for the Bengals did increase as as the season went on. Do you think there's anything to that uh, that theory that maybe Zach Taylor just didn't have a full command of or trust in Joe Burrow coming back from the injury at the start? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that they revert back to it sometimes. I mean, I, you know, in the, in the AFC championship game, uh, anybody that was rooting for the Chiefs was really happy anytime they went to Joe Mixon on early downs. And it feel, felt like in every single first and 10, they went to him in the running game and, and gave themselves second and long. So um, I agree with you that the season wide trends have been positive as far as Zach Taylor leading on Joe Burrow on early downs, but um, they, they still have it in them. And I, and I think that, you know, with two weeks to prepare, you wonder how they use those two weeks. It, as somebody who would like to see the Bengals win, um, I, it's probably, uh, you know, I think the, I hope the two weeks is, is him and Burrow getting together and saying the only way we can win this game is if we don't allow the Rams to get us into long yarded situations. And the only way we can do that uh, is by throwing the football. From a uh, roster construction standpoint, if you're trying to figure out like the best way to build your team, is there anything to learn from the Bengals who are here despite not having a good offensive line, who have had a quarterback that's able to basically avoid a lot of the pressure, maybe not all the time, but still win despite it? Or do you view the Bengals as sort of a big outlier in that regard? No, I mean, they, they're doing exactly, I think, what people have advised to do uh, during the uh, you know new CBA, right? I mean, the Rams did it with Goff. Uh, the Eagles did it with Wentz. Um, you know, it, they, they were kind of lucky, but Seattle did it with Russell Wilson. It's sort of you, you when you're 2-14 and 14 one year, uh, in two years, you're not going to have a perfect roster, right? And you could do a lot to build the thing up. 
Um, but in reality, essentially what you have to do is you have to build the most important parts first, and you have to hope that those most important parts will overcome uh, weaknesses at less important parts. And so they built a secondary uh, that's really impervious to uh, you know injuries and things like that with a bunch of veterans and a bunch of good players. Um, but then they also built uh, a wide receiver core of, of players who can get open early in the down so that Joe Burrow doesn't end up having to get sacked. You know, he's gotten sacked a lot, but not nearly as much as I think the naysayers when they drafted Jamar Chase said he would. Eric, you wrote uh, in your article with the statistical breakdown on uh, PFF.com about what has been talked about all week long, all two weeks, about the offensive line of the Bengals against the defensive line of the Rams and made a comparison to last year uh, you know, with your Chiefs against the Bucks. Is there anything scheme-wise that Cincinnati can do to try to avoid this having two weeks to prepare? Yeah, they, they just cannot get in long yardage situations. I think they got lucky against Kansas City because, you know, Kansas City has a little bit of Melvin Ingram, but it's mostly just Chris Jones, and Chris Jones did wreak havoc against them with six pressures, but he couldn't get Joe Burrow on the ground in necessary moments. Um, they have no such luxury against the Rams. I mean, they come with Vaughn Miller. They come with uh, Leonard Floyd. They, they, you know, uh, Chris you know, Gaines as well is pretty good, and obviously Donald. Like the only, and, and oftentimes they'll load them up. The only way they, they can't load them up is if there's a credible threat of the run, and there's only going to be a credible threat of the run if you're in second and three or, or uh, first and ten. If you're in third and seven a lot, it's just not going to be good. And that and so it's, to me, schematically, I think it's mostly use the fact that you got three wide receivers and a, and a tight end should use Ama play who can all get open early in the down uh, and and pick up yards. Uh, early in, early on first down so that you don't have to have second downs where the other team thinks you're going to throw. Are you letting Jalen Ramsey shadow Jamar Chase? It, so this is the crazy thing when you think about betting or you think about like predicting a game, you don't want to coach your prediction. If I were the Rams, I'd probably have Ramsey look at uh, you know, T. Higgins, because I think Higgins is a complimentary player that can really hurt you. Uh, Chase had just 54 yards and a touchdown against the Chiefs. Higgins, uh, Chase was the one not to beat the Chiefs. It was uh, it was Higgins. Higgins is a body type where he can be a matchup really well against some you know smaller corners. Uh, so I take Ramsey as a bigger body, more physical guy, and I I'd, I'd put him on Higgins, uh, and I would bracket Chase, and then I would you know. Uh, make Tyler Boyd beat you. That would be my my reference point. I think if you take Ramsey and put him on, on Chase, for, for one, Chase might beat him one-on-one, right? And, and you know, that's a matchup where I think where I think Chase could actually win. Uh, and so you're going to lose more of those matchups than maybe if you double-team Chase uh, and you put uh, Ramsey on the slightly worse uh, Higgins. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus joining us here on the Press Box. And, Eric, I want to go back to – Something that you say very often on the PFF forecast, your uh, outstanding podcast with George Hurry, about what you just mentioned. The, you can't coach those bets. And it's something I go back to fairly often now and remind myself of. And so when you are looking at this Super Bowl, whether it's prop bets, whether you want to bet side total, et cetera, what sort of traps do you think you could fall into if, if you're trying to convince yourself either way in this game? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, for... It is it is the chase stuff, right? Like I think I I think you know the Higgins overs are probably where you want to go if you're looking in the Bengals passing game because I don't think the Rams are going to do what I suggested, which is uh, you know uh, allocate resources to stopping him. Um, but then that means Jamar Chase is you know you know 
props are going to be uh, a little bit suppressed. You're, you're gonna he's gonna win his you know he's gonna win some matchups, but not enough to go you know seven for 150 and three touchdowns. So that's one. Um, the other one, and this is kind of you know uh, you know hedging a little bit, but like I like Cam Akers under. I like Cam Akers under because I don't think he's efficient. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that they're going to give him enough carries to go over that you know 65 and a half or so rushing total. Uh, that would be another one where. If I were to coach that bet, I'd bet a lot more on that under just because if I were coaching the team, I wouldn't play Akers as much and I wouldn't give him as many carries. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Eric, but before you go on, I just want to say, Eric, if Cam Akers goes over 65 yards, I might be calling you and looking for a spare room or just some someplace to rent <laughs> uh, because, because I'm 100% with you there. So go on. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's somebody who uh, – th- this is a narrative here where, you know, what's impressive is not necessarily what's good. And it's very impressive to come back from uh, an, an Achilles in as many months as he has, but he has not been good. Um, so uh, I, I like I like that under even if he gets 15 carries, 20 carries. Um, but I also think there's a universe where they wise up and, and give the ball to Sony Michelle or pass the ball more, in which case it's still a good bet. Eric, I did want to ask you, uh, you guys talked to Marlon Humphrey yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what did you take from that as far as just respect for Harbaugh and coaches – needing that level of respect from the players to maybe do unconventional, make unconventional decisions. Yeah, it, it was almost, when I asked him the question, it was almost like trivial, like, hey, what, what, what's the, you know, he's like, yeah, no, no crap. You know, we're, we're going to back our coach. He's a winner. He's doing what, what's best for us to win. We go through Saturdays and we go through sheets and sheets and sheets of reasons why we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And so it wasn't even sort of like this, you know, monumentous thing that he said he was, you know, I trust Harbaugh. It was more of like a, yeah, yeah, no big deal. Um, which was which was wonderful, and I, Marlon Humphrey is a very very sharp player, and I think when you do, you know, when you do the stuff that the Chargers are doing, do the stuff that the Ravens are doing, um, you need the buy-in from the players because you need the players to know. Let's say it's you know third down and five, you need the you need them to be like, oh, we'll run on this down so we get an extra, uh, we'll get a fourth and two instead of a uh, throw the ball and either have to punt on fourth and five or get a first down. So it, there's all these like little second order things that when you decide to be an aggressive coach and you decide to uh, play the game a little bit differently, your players need to know why. Eric, we uh, we have Josh McDaniels coming in to take over from uh, from Rich Passaccia, from John Gruden, and I'm curious, maybe help people understand in terms of forward thinking on offense. Where does a Josh McDaniels offense fit in? I, that, it's a great question because it's so hard to to untangle what what Tom Brady was responsible for and what Josh McDaniel was. I know once Brady left uh, the Patriots. Um, it was a very run-first offense. I think, you know, if you think about one of the traps that the, the Raiders might get into is Josh Jacobs having a really good year four uh, and getting a contract extension, which we know uh, is sort of a kiss of death to a, a salary cap and things like that. Um, but he very much committed to the run last year. I thought they were very creative in, in running the football. Um, is that a good thing? Uh, I don't know if it is long-term, but, um, you know, how does he view Derek Carr is a really good question as far as like how he's going to run that offense in my opinion if he views Derek Carr as kind of a weaker Tom Brady then maybe uh maybe the the thing can be successful if he views him as a as a quarterback like much like Mac Jones who needs to be taken care of uh it it might not be an offense that can compete with the high-flying you know Chargers and Chiefs in the in the AFC West all right Eric before we let you go uh give us a two-word answer here best quarterback in the NFL draft is 
Uh, I'm going to Kenny Pickett. All right. He is Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus live from Radio Row. Eric, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. So Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Uh, coming up next, Darren Millard joins us to break down some Golden Knights. Moose, you just keep on moosing. This doesn't concern you. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Milsey Millard. All right, Adam, I'm starting to think you might be a curse because we don't have Darren Millard. I mean, it's not like he's in Canada and it's hard to find him. We know exactly, <laughs> like, he might not even have left T-Mobile after last <laughs> night where he did the pre- and post-game show. I mean... We know Darren Millard is definitely within Las Vegas proper. Like, I'm I'm under the belief, though, as I try to blame this on you, I'm under the belief, though, that Darren Millard, since he went to the Olympics to do some broadcasting in the summer, uh, I think he's been on with us every single time. And now you're here and he's not. And like Jason Fitz normally joins us. But when you're here, Jason Fitz is only on like half the time. Well, they don't want to go through the hard-hitting questioning of a legitimate journalist like me. Ah, they just I want see. your softballs. I see. You're, yeah. By the way, you are excited after last interview? I am. I am. When, when we talk to a guy who is an actual doctor of math, who, who knows football <laughs> fairly well, and he thinks that we ask good questions, then I feel like we did a good job with the interview, right? I, I, we, we succeeded. We are... We are the nerdiest sports show in all of Las Vegas when you and I are together. And so if you get nerd approval, that really should be, you know, the highest honor. So we're the nerdiest show in Las Vegas. It's not even close. And is it a good thing for the listeners when we bring someone on who's an actual doctor of math to be even more nerdier? No, but see, he's a, he's a respected nerd. We're just a couple of idiots who yes. like to use the numbers that guys like him put together like we're just the guys who you know take things that eric eager uses years of research to come up with and we try to make it sound like we understand them which we kind of do but the thing of it is if we're being honest with everybody we just understand them a little better than the average sports fan i'm fake smart i've said it before i, I i'm fake smart oh we, look, i mean look no no real smart person has their car drive into their house well like, yeah that, that's on, that's truly on. where fake smart lives yeah yeah all, all right, right fine, hold on, hold on. Fine. i think we have darren. oh do we oh do we do we have darren is, he, right. is he done ducking my hard questions are you there darren i am here wow. i'm ready i just did, needed an extra couple of minutes okay there. uh we got we do have an important question as adam speculated did you leave t-mobile arena yet i did Okay. Did you sleep there in between the back-to-back games the last two days? Did not. Oh. But I can tell you that it was much warmer last night than it was the other night. (laughs) Were you cold the first night? Well, the first night it was freezing in there. (laughs) Freezing. They were were changing the ice over from the all-star sheet to the the regular sheet uh, with all the ads and the the, uh, center ice logo and everything. So they were flooding it. So it was uh, a little bit cooler in there to... uh, make sure that it was uh, freezing properly, and man, was it cold. Last night, it was tolerable. It's still eerie. still very eerie when you're in there all alone. Like, where we are up in Section 117, we can hear Dave and, and Shane calling the game without earpieces. It just echoes through the whole, whole, whole building. It's weird. Are you finally going to answer questions about Jack Eichel now that he's in a uh, regular practice jersey? I have never... Ask the question about Jack. 
there's just not been an answer about Jack if you're leaning towards how the roster configuration is going to sort out. Uh, I don't know. Like last night, Mark Stone misses the game. Uh, that does he miss more games? Uh, could he miss more games? Uh, I don't know. Uh, with that upper body injury, uh, when does Alex Martinez come back? Uh, I don't know. So um, until that they until they have that full full roster, uh, I don't know what it's worth speculating. But uh, I will I will answer any of your non-hypothetical questions. Non-hypothetical. Listen. To sure. You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's let let's do that. Let's let's ask non-hypothetical questions about uh, Jack Eichel. Um, do you think You're that? Excited. You're excited. Yeah, I, I am because because it's like it's like a challenge to see if we can get you you know in a <laughs> in a in a fake news media gotcha moment here. Uh, yes, exactly. No. Yeah, that's, that's that's what we live for. It's what Tyler and I are here. Hold for. on, I got I got uh, one to start. I got one. All to right, start. Go, all right, go go ahead. Are the Golden Knights spending too much money on a backup goalie? Uh, no. Oh, they're spending so much less money on a on on a backup goalie now uh, than uh, than they were before, and I think they're getting incredible value out of uh, out of Laurent Brassois right now. He's like nine three and two, um, and and uh, compare that to and and you can't really compare their talent now to to what you saw with Mark Andre and, and Rob Leonard, but I think uh, the other iteration uh, with Malcolm Subban and the the record and the performance that, that you had with Malcolm compared to Laurent Bersois, uh this is uh, absolute uh, incredible value and and, uh, and great performance out of Laurent Bersois. He's, he's winning two out of every three games, and and out of your backup, that's that's wildly great. Okay, now I see where we're headed, and I am all in on it. Okay, Darren, can you imagine the Golden Knights without the misfit line? Uh, we will have to at some point. Oh, oh, is I that think, some uh, point I this think season? That's absolutely uh, a, a possibility. Uh, one contract is up after after this year, uh, so it's uh, absolutely a, a realistic uh, 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 situation where where you're going to have to uh, move on from uh, from one of them, uh, and and then the misfit line. Will will be no more. So yeah, I can I can see uh, see that happening. Which position? Let's break this down: centers, wingers, and defensemen. Which position can the Golden Knights most uh, survive losing a really good player from one of those three positions? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I don't think that uh, that you want to uh, adjust your uh, salary allotment. On the blue line, uh, the way the way it's figured right now, with the uh, the veterans and the, the young kids, uh, I think uh, I think it's really well balanced. I mean, you've got some some really elite players there, but uh, but you've also got some some players on some some cap friendly deals. Um, probably, I mean, if everybody's healthy, and and I think you're trying to allude to to Jack Health. Jack Eichel being uh, being available and, and activated, uh, you, you've got a surplus of center Iceman for sure uh, it, when, it, when it comes to, to that situation uh, or players who are uh, naturally uh, center Iceman. So Darren Millard reports exclusively William Carlson will be traded before the deadline. Do I have that right? 
No, I didn't say that center Iceman. <laughs> I just said center Iceman. This because, is... I mean, you've, you've got a bunch of them. If, when, when I told healthy, you have uh, Jack, you have William, you have um, uh, Nick Watt, you have Chandler Stevenson, you have uh, Brett Howden, you have Nolan Patrick. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of guys down the middle. Darren, last night, obviously, not a banner night for VGK in Calgary. Uh, when that you I see can't a perform, <laughs> that you can, that is, you're yeah. not reporting exclusively, unfortunately. Yeah. We all <laughs> saw that at the same time. Um, but uh, the when we have a game like that where the Golden Knights are blown out, as opposed to losing, say, a two-one game, is it easier for us as observers to look at that and say, "Well, that's an outlier." We, you know, we kind of throw that one out versus playing a hard-fought where it ends up being, you know, a really tight one. Yeah, I, I think it is an outlier because it, it hasn't happened. And, and here's the weird part: like it, it's occurred to every team in the league this year. Tampa Bay allowed nine goals one night, uh, and they're the two-time Stanley Cup champions. It just, uh, it, it's happened. It, it kind of came out of nowhere, though, last night, in the sense that they've been playing so great on the road. Uh, they're they fresh because they, even though it was a back-to-back, uh, they, they've been really solid, in best in the league, and in the second halves of, uh, of back-to-back. And they were relatively healthy. Now, Mark Stone missed last night. Uh, that the reason for a blowout? No, uh, it can affect your lineup, and uh, and the that building in itself has been an absolute horror show uh, for them over the years. They, they've lost to Calgary four times in franchise history. All four have been in that building. Four have been blowout losses. Uh, so that that's a trend, but uh, but it's weird. Uh, uh, I, but I still think it's uh, an absolute uh, outlier. They, I mean that that game was lopsided the very start more so than the night before and uh you you tossed it out but i loved what pete said after the game like there was no like we're just gonna burn the video of this and and move on and uh it was one of those things like he he was he was really candid as candid as i've heard him about his team uh this year Uh, and uh i i was uh i liked what he talked about uh last night that uh that uh they were the the, the better team, the, the Calgary Flames uh, from the start, and uh, I, I think that uh, that there's some currency for the head coach in this uh, going into these six days between games uh, for for the head coach to to be able to work with his club and and take a step. That I think Calgary gained a lot of attention last night in the eyes of of, of the Vegas Golden Knights uh, moving forward. All right, I've got one speculation question, but it has nothing to do with oh, the roster. Okay, it's not the roster though. It is. It's kind of based on the standings now and and speculating that they're similar at the end of the year. Would you rather be one seed in the Pacific, and your first round matchup is the fourth best team in the Central, uh, Nashville, Minnesota, somebody like that? But you get home ice in the first and the second round for sure. Or would you rather be the two seed where your first round matchup is going to be a lesser team like Anaheim or L.A. or Edmonton, whoever gets it together out of those three to get the three seed, but you aren't guaranteed home ice in the second round? Yeah, one seed. Okay. You want the home ice the whole way, even if it means you're slightly more likely to get bounced in the first round. Uh, I don't think you're more likely 
uh, than than anything. The, the, the competition when you get to uh, a three seed versus a four seed is is so um, close and and even that uh, that I don't think that it's uh, it makes any difference. So I'll take I'll take uh, a home ice advantage down the road uh, in my back pocket and secured and 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 and, uh, and run all day with that. Uh, this. The home ice we we saw the the difference it made last year in the playoffs. No guarantee moving forward, but uh, in a game seven against the uh, the Minnesota Wild, and then game six, uh, what, what uh, they were able to do in fact against Colorado Avalanche. So I I, I think uh, having that, and then with the road record that they've got this year, uh, yep, uh, that is a definitive top seed. Let's go. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember this when they lose to Minnesota in five games in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, okay, so five games that would put them uh, <laughs> that would put them playing in Minnesota for the fifth game. Yep, and and they'd be done. <laughs> they'd be done. I'm gonna remember it. He's Darren Millard. There's PGK no way you remember show. that. Oh, no chance. I will forget it uh, within ten minutes. No chance. No, yeah. yeah, exactly. So maybe Danny will pull the sound for us and will remind me uh, in a couple of months when they get back to Minnesota. Catching up, buddy. It really, I I have enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, and obviously, I'm a great counterpoint to Tyler. Oh, that that is true. <laughs> Darren, get out of here. Bye. There's Darren Millard, VGK Insider Show. You can hear him today, uh, and also you can see him on TV when the Golden Knights play, which isn't for like another week though. Coming up next, hey, guess what? Rob Manfred's talking this morning about how there's no baseball. Duh. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Major League Baseball. We don't have that sport at the moment, but Rob Manfred is talking to the media this morning. Uh, Wait, have you seen any Rob Manfred quotes you want to jump on first? Do I want to jump on them? No, (laughs) I, I, I want to pretend that Rob Manfred wasn't talking at all. Jeff Passan has already reported that a league spokesman said that Rob Manfred misspoke about the competitive balance tax today. They're already having to do damage control in the MLB front office about how bad Rob Manfred was with the media today. Uh, Travis Sawchick tweeted out this quote from Rob Manfred. Historically, the return on owning a team is below what you'd expect to get in the stock market. Molly Knight has retweeted that and said, quote, this is demonstrably false. Um, <laughs> I believe uh, there's a uh, there's a Bob Bryan one out there that breaks down the numbers as well and shows that it is far more lucrative uh, than the S&P 500, which is the best way to get a return in the stock market, according to those numbers. <laughs> How? OK. How when you have owners who you can just you can just Google their name and net worth and see what their net worth is. I just did it with the Astros owner, Jim Crane, net worth one point four billion dollars. How do they try to get away with saying, well, you know, it's really a charity we're running here owning these baseball teams. We don't actually make much money from them. Why are we supposed to believe (laughs) that all of these rich men want to get involved in owning a franchise in professional sports just for giggles? (laughs) Right. We're supposed to believe that in all four major sports that these owners are just a bunch of rich guys who made a lot of money being smart or shrewd or inheriting it from their parents and now just want a toy they don't want to make money it's insane it's absolutely insane rob manford also today came out and said that uh he wants everybody to know that the only time that major league baseball has 
had a new collective bargaining agreement and not had a work stoppage. Uh, it was him who was the one negotiating it for Major League <laughs> Baseball. So take that, everybody. Take that and try to forget the fact that he's the one who just locked out the players. Uh, he apparently uh, also gave this quote, according to Michael Silverman, about the lockout, that phones work two ways. Sure. I mean, that is accurate information, but lockouts only work one way. Right. And that's him locking them out. And also, maybe I I didn't miss anything. We're like two weeks removed from the players making uh, an offer and the owners not countering, right? Accurate information. Okay. okay. Like, I, I making sure I didn't miss something there. Like, the players made an offer. And there was even a report at one time that there was going to be a counteroffer from the owners and as far as I know, that that has never happened. So okay, I I found the Bob Bryan quote that I was talking about. This is from an athletic article uh, with Rob Manford talking about the return being below the stock market since 2002. All four of the major U.S. sports leagues have performed better than the S and P 500. The return on MLB <laughs> franchises was 669 percent above the NFL's 558 exceeded only by the NBA's 1057% the S&P returned 500%. That's pretty good. What uh what are the Denver Broncos about to sell for? 95 billion D zillion dollars. <laughs> like if if the baseball owners were actually like losing money on this, if this was like, "Oh, we can't really afford to own these teams." They could pretty much all just sell them for like billions of dollars and get out of it. Like that's that's how much pro sports teams get sold for. So it's amazing to me that the and I don't know, maybe it works. Here's here's the thing, Adam. I actually thought and maybe it's because I have too much of a bubble with the people I follow on Twitter. But I actually thought like there was some what of a turn in terms of the way the public is sort of reacted to uh, lockouts or work stoppages, whatever, where people are a little bit more on the side of the players that, hey, they're the millionaires, not the billionaires, or in a lot of cases, the thousandaires, not the billionaires. But then I saw Max Scherzer tweet and read the replies and the amount of people that were still yelling that baseball players make too much money. It, it was like, oh, I was wrong. We aren't, we haven't made very much progress on the way the public views lockouts with owners versus players. I think there's some nuance there. Um, Lindsay Adler, who covers the Yankees for the athletic uh, tweeted out, I think it was about a week ago and said, you know, that there is actually a little bit more support for the players out there in her estimation because of the fact that this is the first work stoppage during the social media era in which players can speak out directly, right? And we've seen the, the players, uh, especially those who are more inclined toward the union, to uh, all tweet out saying, yeah, it takes two sides to negotiate, right? You got to be at the table. Uh, hashtag at the table. And so, you know, if the players are able to raise their voice that way, I do think it helps because Rob Manford has the bully pulpit to be able to go up and say inane things like he did today. But the players do have a way to speak out that they didn't before. And I will say, and again, maybe it's my own curated Twitter feed that I've made into a bubble, but I will say almost universally the responses to Rob Manford's quotes today have been negative have been this guy's a moron he's got to stop talking he's got to stop acting like owners are losing money so uh, maybe there's some potential there does that actually matter when it comes to negotiating leverage maybe not this time around but maybe in 20 years when there's another lockout when there's another work stoppage we might actually have something that changes and 
maybe the players get a little bit more leverage than they have in the past or a little bit more power in the past. But we don't have baseball. And the last thing Rob Manfred did say today, he still anticipates spring training to start on time. <laughs>